The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. It's time now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Hal Schurz. Hello, America. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Um, I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. Every week, myself and my uh, running buddy, Dr. Scott Barber, bring you the information that you need so that you can uh, advocate for your family and for yourselves regarding your health care. We um, stand for the doctor-patient relationship and for health care freedom, and we will uh, provide the information that you'll need so that you can be a better informed consumer of health care and of information. The show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country. Please go to our website at www.d, the number four, pcfoundation.org, and support what we are doing. I'm not going to give us a long soliloquy about Docs for Patient Care. I've been told by some of my good friends and regular listeners that the first Ten minutes of the show is devoted to hawking the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, but we need your help, and I'm not going to tell you why I'd prefer that you just go to our website and uh, and please uh, donate generously so we can continue to bring this show to you and do the work that we do every day to uh, fight for you and for your family's health care. So... Um, one of the one of the things that people have um, expressed to me who are listeners to the show, and I think there are two or three, um, they uh, they they mentioned to me that um, that my running buddy, Doctor Scott, likes to tell uh, stories. He's a raconteur, and he'll uh, uh, tell stories about. His experiences in healthcare and and uh, in life, and um, I'm going to uh, I think veer away from what I like to do, which is to share information that's been um, published that you might not have seen, and use that as a jumping off point to uh, have a a, uh, a monologue. But and I'll and I'll do that toward the end of the show, but. I'm going to start out the show by um, telling some stories. Um, and uh, today we are going to focus on wokeism, which is, in my opinion, the most pressing issue that we face in healthcare today and in society in general. It is a cancer, and it is it, um, an an issue that uh, I feel strongly about that we need to um, push back hard against because if we do not, it will consume us, overtake us, and it will replace the very essence of what our society is all about. So I train young physicians, residents and fellows this week, I had with me a resident. He's about 29 years old, and according to one of my partners, is 
quote, very woke. So this was the first time that I had an opportunity to spend an extended amount of time with him. Um, we began our day on Monday at 7.15 in the morning, and uh, we had 10 surgical cases to do that day. That's a long day in the operating room. Now, I take my role as a teacher very seriously, <clears throat> and we discussed many topics pertaining to our patients. We discussed their surgeries, how we evaluate the patients, what tests we use to come up with our plan. Um, we talk about surgical techniques. We really um, cover uh, a, a broad spectrum of uh, medical topics pertaining to the patients, and it often will um, lead us down other roads that we will discuss, but that's an important part of teaching young doctors, which I have done for um, the better part of 37 years. Um, so this was a typical day in the in the operating room, a typical day with me training young doctors. Um, I cover a lot of information that's necessary to further the thinking, critical thinking, the training, the, the technical training of, of my trainees. It was a long day, a tiring day. And on days like these, the uh, opportunity to discuss other things, other issues, other than healthcare, come up, and I um, embrace those opportunities. I relish them. It's an opportunity for me to actually get to know my trainees better. Now, I was warned by my partner about this resident that I needed to tread lightly when it came to certain topics. And to digress, I may have mentioned this on a previous show, but I recently needed to renew my medical license. And in order to do so, I was required to take an online course on workplace behavior. Workplace behavior is now a uh, important part of being able to recertify, to be able to maintain your license to practice medicine. Specifically, this course instructed us how we must not use our position of power to get too personal with people we work with or get too personal with our patients. Now, I understand what this course is designed to do. I understand how they are trying to put us on notice, on guard, about doing things that might be perceived as um, crossing the line, getting 
chummy with patients or having inappropriate um, uh, relationships with patients. I get that. That is something that we as doctors, as healthcare professionals, probably need to be reminded about all the time because there's a temptation for us to uh, to do that. We connect with a patient who we have common ground on, and um, before you know it, we are uh, talking about getting together or having dinner, and that might that might be a, a an issue. It might it might be something that crosses the line of a doctor patient relationship. Although I'm old school and I'm all about relationships, and so this is new ground for old doctors who have been practicing for years and years and get to know their patients and get to. Um, have relationships, but it's especially disconcerting when these courses are instructing you to not get to know the people that you work with, not to get too chummy with them, not to do things that can be perceived as, quote, microaggressions, end quote, where you are asking questions and the people who are subordinates of yours may feel uneasy. They may feel that you are putting them on the spot. And because of the, the, um, the, the dichotomy, the difference between you and them, you as a, a, a physician, a surgeon, the captain of the ship in the operating room, and they as people who work under you feel that they are compelled to provide information, or if they don't, they feel uncomfortable, they feel uneasy because they're not. So this is what these courses are now telling you to avoid. They're telling you to lose your humanity and be an automaton and just have blinders on and not interact with people and be very careful keeping within the guardrails of what is now deemed to be acceptable behavior. This is this is where we're at and this is uh why um my partner recommended to me to stay away from discussing sensitive issues with this resident. The courses tell us that avoiding this kind of interaction, staying away from getting too close, protects us from potential retribution that might threaten our ability to practice, might threaten our license and our livelihood. Now, I feel like this is wrong on so many levels, not the least of which is that in avoiding these interactions, we are dehumanizing, we are depersonalizing medicine, a field that is all about interaction and humanity. Now, the people responsible for this curriculum for this way of thinking are the same people who push the notion 
of wokeism, microaggressions, um, all the all the buzzwords that we hear about. They are pushing this agenda. They're they're trying to uh, to mold behavior, shape behavior, change behavior, not in a good way. It's an attempt to take away the essence of what it is to be a doctor. It's nefarious, in my opinion. It's a nefarious plan to make of healthcare what the woke mob has done in so many other areas of our society, in education, in politics, in the media. These are areas that are nothing like they once were. They have been destroyed, and this effort is trying to do the same thing in healthcare. <clears throat> and they're succeeding because the people like me are being replaced <clears throat> with the people like my resident who is <clears throat> thinking like a woke person and is not thinking like a, a humanist. The problem is, in my opinion, that nobody has the guts to push back against this. Nobody has the guts to challenge these people who promote these ideas, which are antithetical to medicine and, and antithetical to our society, to our way of life. I don't know a lot of people my age and even a lot of younger people who are really happy about what they're seeing today, who embrace this. But people are afraid. They're afraid of becoming targets. They're afraid of risking things that uh, that they may lose when somebody who is ignorant or malicious tries to come after them for what they're saying or for what they're doing. This is flat out wrong. It's wrong for us to cower against these people. So I digress and I'm going to get back to my story. So my resident, in the course of the day, was working with me and um, and many other topics come up in a typical surgical day that have nothing to do with our patients or with medicine. You can imagine if we're in a setting in an operating room for, gosh, I guess it is an 8 to 10 or 11 hour day um, lots of things are going to come up. We're just not going to talk medicine 24-7. It is not an episode of Grey's Anatomy or of ER or these other medical shows. People people um, talk about their lives. They talk about restaurants. They talk about um, where they have... Uh, 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 gone on vacation or what they are watching... On Netflix. So lots of topics come up. And they come up rather innocent, 
innocently. We don't really plan uh, a conversation, although I know some people who try to uh, do so. Um, and uh, and actually, that's one of the things that I'm very careful about. I am careful nowadays, much more so than I used to be in the operating room. Um, I try to have a team of people with me that I um, am comfortable with, who I've operated with for a long time. Um, unfortunately, there are uh, turnover of, um, of individuals and people leave or retire and things change. But I like a team where I can... Uh, know who the people I'm working with are, what they're all about, so that my uh, operating room becomes what I consider to be a safe zone where people can speak freely, talk about anything, and um, not fear retribution. Certainly not from me, ever. But um, we can't be quite so... Um, so comfortable, so confident that that will be the case with some of these new people that come through operating rooms who may feel aggrieved by something that you speak about or may um, feel that they are threatened by a conversation that you have. So you really do need to be careful speaking freely in a place where you don't know the people. But when you do know the people, then conversations are easier, even about difficult subjects. And I think some of the best conversations, some of the most, some of the most productive and interesting conversations come from those settings. Um, I work with um, many People who um, are different than me, um, black people in the OR, Hispanic people in the OR, and I feel that having these interesting conversations actually helps me. It teaches me. It makes me a better person because I'm open to listening and hearing what people who are not like me are thinking and saying something that we have gotten away from in our society because we're afraid to confront these things lest we may offend somebody. And I think that that's really something that has driven a wedge between people and um, polarized us and and um, created tribe tribes tribalism where we instead of learning about everybody and appreciating other people's differences and their points of view, we um, congregate with people who think like we do and we don't interact with people who might be different than us. And so in the course of a day in my operating room, um, sometimes the innocent conversations will lead to more sensitive and intense discussions. So, this is how it all started. We were chatting about technology, and that led to a conversation about artificial intelligence, to which I asked a question to the people in the room if they had heard about what Elon Musk had said about 
artificial intelligence. I was listening to an interview that he did on Tucker where he was very concerned about artificial intelligence, very critical about AI. He was commenting how dangerous it was and that until we understood it better, we should put a moratorium on developing it. This is coming from a man who spent hundreds of millions of dollars on the cutting edge of AI, who put his money where his ideas were, trying to um, harness the power of AI. But what Elon Musk has um, said, what he's realized, is that it is being usurped by people who are unscrupulous and nefarious, who want to um, bring this into a direction that would seriously harm our society, unalterable. It would change our society in a direction that we could not come back from. He said that we were playing with fire and that this would ruin our society. So I pointed out the irony here with Elon Musk and how he's done a 180 on this issue. And we were having a conversation, the anesthesiologist and anesthetist and myself and my scrub tech and my resident then chimed in and he said, well, no one takes Elon Musk seriously anymore after everything that he has done and said. So I paused for a moment trying to digest what he had said and I couldn't hold back anymore. So as a teacher of young doctors, I view it as my responsibility to educate and not let anyone make statements that they can't back up. If someone were talking about the treatment of a patient, for example, and throws out some, quote, fact, end quote, that has no basis in reality, it's my duty as a teacher to call them out on it and not allow them to make unsubstantiated statements. It's irresponsible, it's reckless, and it's dangerous. It could harm patients. If somebody says something about a treatment or something about a patient that is flat out wrong, it could kill somebody. It actually could kill somebody if the um, if the diagnosis is wrong, if they said something about a test that wasn't real, that they made up or that they heard from somebody who heard it from somebody else without going to the source and finding out that information firsthand, something I teach the residents constantly. Believe nothing, trust no one, unless you've seen it with your own eyes. So I felt the same about this statement being made about Elon Musk. So I challenged him about it. I asked him what he meant by it. And what he said was um, that just that, Elon Musk has said um, crazy things. So I pushed him on it and I asked him 
to give me just one example. Excuse me, just one example. Of course, he could not do that. So me, being me, I continued to challenge him and pushed. And I decided to poke the bear, to do what my my partner told me that I should avoid. Don't get into a confrontation with this resident. So I provided him the examples that he could not provide just to be provocative and pick his brain and to get him to open up. So I said to him, so of course what you probably mean is what Musk said about free speech and the need for a level playing field in a civilized society and the danger of censorship of ideas. And he said that he was unfamiliar with this position of Elon Musk and he still not could provide any support for his reckless and unsubstantiated statements about Musk. But this is something that is very common with people like my resident, the young, woke mind. They develop ideas from sound bites and from their feelings, and they fail to investigate a topic. And they are examples of what one of my former professors used to say about people who are ignorant. He said, never let the facts interfere with your conclusions. Or as I like to say, people like this are frequently wrong, but never in doubt. So, on went our conversation, and I proceeded to prod him about free speech, about censorship, and about who should be allowed to have a platform and who should not. And th- this was actually fun for me. This was recreation, but probably very uncomfortable for my resident as I shook his sensibilities and made him face head-on positions that were uncomfortable for him, positions that he was taking that he could not support, that he could not substantiate. I asked him if social media should deplatform people. And he enthusiastically said yes, to which I asked him, even a legitimate newspaper should be deplatformed? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, Twitter and Facebook and Google deplatformed the New York Post over the Hunter Biden laptop. Should that have happened? And of course, he had no response because this was news to him and he had never even considered this in his isolated world of, quote, facts which are not really facts. They're, they're talking points and their feelings and their blabber that comes from the sources that he, um, that he frequents on TikTok and Instagram and other sites that perpetuate this and feed into this. 
So I asked them if doctors should be deplatformed or lose their licenses when they write about things that they saw in their COVID patients, like myocarditis and young patients receiving COVID boosters. Again, news to him. This was something that he had never heard of. And I presented to him peer review articles that I pulled off my phone to show him this and challenged him about this. And he was very shocked to learn about this because he was an enthusiastic um, supporter of the, um, quote, vaccine regimen, the shot regimen. And I asked him if he thought that they were a good thing and if boosters were good. And he said, oh, absolutely. And I asked him, would he take another booster? And he said, oh, of course I would. And I said, even knowing what you know now, but he didn't know what he knows now because he never heard any of this before. An example of what is happening to young people and our society and wokeism. And when I gave him the real scoop about what the woke mob was doing to doctors and what they were, um, uh, how they were censoring doctors, preventing them from sharing their experiences with their own patients and their own critiques about what was going on, he had to reevaluate his position because he couldn't disagree with doctors um, reporting things that they were observing. And this really shook his world. It, it was, it was uncomfortable for him. And we, we talked about doctors and disinformation and misinformation. And, and I asked him, should there be, um, censorship of these people? Are they actually hurting the public? And he said, oh, yes, they are definitely harming the public, and we shouldn't let doctors spread um, falsehoods about medical um, facts. So, again, this was like, I mean, it was, it was so beautiful to have this ability to, to it was like, to, to interact with him. It was like seeing a baby being born. It gave me an opportunity to fire back, and I didn't know which direction to take this in. Should I ask him who should be the arbiter of misinformation? Who should be judging who is dealing with, with facts and misinformation? What is misinformation and disinformation? Does it matter that all of the statements that were deemed as misinformation and disinformation from doctors turned out to be real, to be actually facts, and the people who were saying that those doctors were guilty of spreading falsehoods were the actual ones spreading disinformation because it was of a political nature or a financial interest to them or both. I wanted to ask him if he thought that I was a bad doctor because I was accused of spreading misinformation and disinformation. 
And I had so much to ask him, so many roads to go down. Um, I had an opportunity to reclaim a very, very strong and good mind, which has been polluted and corrupted with garbage that has been fed to him constantly. But just then, the next patient rolled into my operating room, and our attention was redirected to what we were there to do, to provide outstanding patient care. Should we take a break? We're going to take a a quick uh, couple-minute break, and then I'm going to finish my my, uh, stories with you, okay? Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. I am back. Let's talk Venezuelan with Josie Cruz and friends every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back in the doctor's lounge, and I'm sharing with you a day in my life. Work with uh, me in the operating room with a young mind that has been uh, absolutely um, <clears throat> uh, corrupted <clears throat> by the woke ideas that he has been constantly bombarded with. So, after the uh, next patient was um, completed in the operating room, we had finished the operation, we were between cases, the door was now open for me. So, I decided to tread lightly and not um, push back too hard um, because I really did not want my resident to completely, uh, you know, just be reduced to a jellyfish. But somebody else in the room, I think it was the anesthetist, brought up something that was recently in the news. It was the issue about Rowdy Gaines, 
for those of you who are not familiar with Rowdy Gaines, she is the um, NCAA champion swimmer from Kentucky who um, has taken a lot of heat for um, fighting against the transgender movement. Um, she had to swim against um, Leah Thomas, the uh, the man who pretends to be a woman, who was on the University of Pennsylvania men's swimming team and was a mediocre men's swimmer, who, after identifying as a woman, competed in women's events and set women's NCAA swimming records. So Rowdy uh, Gaines um, has been on a uh, national tour speaking against the injustice of this, about the wokeism of the NCAA embracing Leah Thomas, calling her the woman of the year, um, allowing, excuse me, allowing her to swim against women who don't stand a chance to win against her because she's a man. Oh my God. What a powder keg. This statement opened up in my operating room. And you can guess what position my resident took on this issue. He claimed, he opined, we need to be respectful of everyone. Trans individuals should have the same rights as everyone. And I just could not contain myself, me being me. And I asked, when does the right of one person supersede that of half the population of an, of an entire gender. I talked about Title IX with him, about the women's movement. I even brought up medical issues that a doctor should agree about, a doctor like him, that a man who has been virilized by testosterone has muscles that are larger, a lung capacity that is greater, a heart that is bigger and pumps more blood, among dozens of other differences from a woman, and lots of butts. Then I asked how he would feel when he becomes a father and his daughter was training her entire life to become an elite swimmer only to have to compete against a man, regardless of how that man identifies. A man is a genetic man with all of the same masculine characteristics of any man that virilizes. And to have to have his daughter compete and lose a place on a podium by this man and possibly lose a lot more. A scholarship, an All-American honor, possibly a spot in the Olympics, and maybe even a future job, which these elite athletes often 
are able to transition into. But if this person never becomes that elite athlete because they were denied that opportunity by someone of another gender, that would change the course of somebody's life entirely. I asked him how he would feel when his daughter, who had worked her entire life to achieve this, had it stolen from her, when he as a parent had given up things in his life financially and time-wise to support her dreams, watched as they were taken away. Of course, again, he had no response because I was right and he was not. And I was challenging his misguided, woke reality. And that's the problem. It's this woke reality that nobody is challenging. Nobody's pushing back against it. And that is where we are going to lose if we don't do this every opportunity that we have. And it's not just young minds that are being corrupted. These crazy ideas have infected the minds of very sensible, mature adults as well. Recently, uh, my wife and I had house guests, very old, dear friends of ours. And over the years, we've drifted apart in our views of the world. We are still close friends, but we see the world differently. And we were out at dinner when they were visiting us. And in the course of our conversation, one position that she had taken was very leftist. And I called her out on it being a woke position. Well, gosh, she nearly bit my head off for using the term woke. And she carried on that it was a made-up term, made up by the right to denigrate any things that conservatives did not agree with. Not wanting to risk a long-term friendship over this, I asked if I could just make one comment and rebuttal and then let it drop. And she agreed to let me just say one thing. So I said that woke was not an invention of the right, but rather a term that was coined by the left. And when all of these crazy positions of the left, defunding the police, opening the border, letting transvestites do story time in kindergarten, when all these positions came up, and I could go on and on with these crazy, crazy ideas, and when these positions were equated with, quote, woke philosophy of the left... And when people realized how crazy these ideas were and how these crazy ideas were, quote, wokeism, and it was turned around on them, then all of a sudden it was a bad term. It was a, a, a negative. And, and it was a creation of the conservatives, of the right. And I pointed out to her that this was not a concoction of the right. This was pointing out the lunacy of the left. But when it was turned around on them, it was no longer 
something that they could live with or justify. And and uh, my friend just she sneered at me. She didn't want to accept it, but that was the reality. That's the fact, and that's what we as conservatives need to do. And it doesn't even need to be conservatives who are pushing back against this. Yesterday, Robert Kennedy Jr. announced his presidency, um, his candidacy for president for the Democrats. And he is no conservative. Believe me, I disagree with 90% of what he said. But he is an enemy of wokeism because he thinks it's destroying our country. And and so you don't have to be a conservative to to uh, point out crazy. And... Uh, and we are in crazy times. And failure on our part as conservatives to push back and allow the radical left to implement their agenda is destroying every part of our way of life, every fabric of our society. And when it comes knocking on my door in health care, this is when I push back. And where I feel not only the obligation to do so, but I have the gravitas behind me to be able to push back. And whether it's about transgenderism and the child abuse going on in this movement, which you've heard me on this show speak about incessantly, or whether it's about DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, that's destroying health care, I'm going to call it out and push back. We have about, I guess, about another 12 minutes in the show, so I'm going to just finish up with DEI and health care. Five states, California, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, and Washington, now all require licensed public health professionals doctors included, to undergo, quote, implicit bias training. You have to go through this to be licensed in these states. This is so wrong on so many levels, but doctors are being instructed to shut up and avoid voicing their objections to this forced training because they risk losing everything if they push back against this woke mob. This mob will come after them, they will destroy them, and they will take away their livelihood. Now, if we don't talk back, if we don't speak out, they win. So sometimes you have to risk everything to stop this. Somebody who's doing this, who I am so impressed with, is Dr. Marilyn Singleton. She is a black physician in California, and she uses the term black. She doesn't use the term Afro-American. She's a black physician in California. She's an anesthesiologist. She's a conservative, and she has pushed back against many unjust and woke policies. And she has taken an extremely strong stance against DEI. And I'm going to share with you an article from a publication that I push a lot because I think that this is an, uh, a publication 
in which people can find information about healthcare that is eye-opening and uh, and important. It's the uh, healthcare news that's published every month by the Heartland Institute, and I strongly urge people to check it out because they they will find things in this online publication. I happen to get the um, the the uh, print version because I'm old school and I like newsprint on my fingers. But the Heartland Institute, um, which is www um, uh, Heartland Institute or healthcarenewsonline.com, and um, and you'll find things in there that will just blow your mind. I mean, literally blow your mind about what's going on in healthcare. I've written for articles for the healthcare news in, in full disclosure and so have friends of mine. So, uh, I'm, I'm pushing something that, that I, I contribute to, but, but there's, there's so much in here that's important. And Dr. Singleton's article is entitled, I'm a black physician and I'm appalled by mandated implicit bias training. So I'm going to read a few excerpts from her article, which I think um, are newsworthy and should be um, shared and uh, digested by you all. She she writes, when I graduated with a medical degree in 1973 as a black woman in a class of mostly white men, there was a real sense the days of obsessing over skin color and making race-based assumptions about our fellow human beings were finally fading and hopefully soon gone for good. Apparently not. That racial obsession has come rushing back in academia, politics, business, and even in my beloved medical profession. But now it's coming from the opposite direction. The malignant, false assumption black people are inherently inferior intellectually has been traded in for the malignant, false assumption that white people are inherently racist. This is coming from a black woman. And, you know, just to digress and away from this article, this all started under Obama. He had an opportunity to bring us together as a society and heal so much of the racial tension that we were um, ex- we've experienced over centuries, over over just millennia of of time. First black president, a lot of hope. Instead, he used race as a wedge to um, politicize um, uh, his agenda to create tribalism and to undermine our society and to make us fight against each other, which would destabilize our society and advance the leftist agenda to remake our society, something that he said over and over again, that he wanted to fundamentally change America. And so it all started under him. And uh, we have a, a lot of ground that we need to make up that I'm praying we have a chance to do. Um, there's a huge abyss right now, and it needs to be bridged. P- 
people like Dr. Singleton are important voices to help bridge that. She goes on to write, that is the basic message conveyed by implicit bias training, that white people are inherently racist. She says that this is harmful to both physicians and to patients. She points out that so much of this is actually not just politically motivated, but financially driven, because what has been created is a grievance industry, the diversity and inclusion industry, which is now worth approximately $3.4 billion annually in these courses, in training people about implicit um, bias and in diversity, equity, inclusion. You don't see a company today, a business today, that is a Fortune 500 company that has not created a, um, a, a position where they've got a director of DEI or where they have a division of DEI. And people are so afraid of being labeled that they want to just be anonymous and jump on this bandwagon and embrace whatever garbage the woke left is trying to push to advance this agenda. Dr. Singleton goes on to state that she rejects the unscientific accusation that people are defined by their race and not by their individual beliefs or choices. And she thinks about the message that this mandate sends to black physicians. She says that it suggests that I should be wary of my white colleagues because, after all, they're biased against people like me. Sure, they can undergo frequent training, but their bias is always going to be there beneath the surface, threatening to rear its ugly racist head. Collegiality and collaboration, two essential components of high-quality medical care, are targeted by this mandate. That's what she calls the implicit bias. And finally, she concludes her article with something that's very chilling. She said that the message to physicians is bad enough, but the message to patients is much worse. Black people are, in effect, being told white physicians are likely to quite literally damage our health. If that's the case, why on earth would you seek medical care unless you could be absolutely certain of not being treated by a white physician? And if you do seek medical care, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you doubt every word from a white doctor who is inherently prejudiced against you? That's what she's saying. This whole movement about implicit bias is doing. It is hurting the medical profession. It's hurting us as professionals, and it's undermining our relationship with our patients. And this 
notion needs to be expunged. It needs to be wiped out. It needs to be challenged. And we have to push back against this. And if we allow this to stand, then we don't stand a chance being able to heal as a country. I'm going to conclude. I told you earlier that I have trusted people in my operating room that I can I can have real conversations with without fear of retribution. Um, black people. I, I love dealing with them. And actually, if people try to accuse me of being racist, I laugh at them because I pick the very best people to work with, the people that I trust and the people who I know are good. And in so many cases, those people are black or Hispanic people over Caucasian people. Well, um, I brought this article up to my nurse in scrub tech in one of my operating rooms. I operate in two operating rooms, both of whom are, are black women, and uh, and shared it with them. And they were sickened by this article, and they agreed with this 100%. And these are not um, conservative women by any means. These are rational women who know right from wrong. And this movement, this DEI movement, is wrong. And it is perpetuating racism and division. And that's what my colleagues, my black colleagues, saw right away. They were able to um, judge this and see right through it and um, be able to identify um, what the um, people pushing this agenda were all about and trying to do, which was to divide instead of to unite. So I'm going to leave you all with this and the, my final plea to stand up to this wokeism whenever you confront it and it rears its head. Otherwise, it's going to overwhelm you and us, and we will not be able to walk it back. Come join us again. In two weeks in the doctor's lounge, my host, co-host, Dr. Scott, will be back in the uh, seat behind the microphone next week. Thanks for being with us. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.